Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to day 13 of Autism Breakthroughs 21 Day Challenge. We are doing 21 days of walking and talking all things adults on the autism spectrum. Um, this walk and talk is done in conjunction with our annual 5K. This year we took it virtual. So if you're interested in signing up, please go to www.runsignup.com and type in Autism Breakthrough in the search engine, and you'll be able to connect with us and register uh, for our virtual 5K. We're doing this the entire month of November, and these um, calls are recorded. So if you want to share it with a friend or if you missed a piece of it this morning, you can go back and listen on Anchor FM. Um, the connection to that is anchor.fm slash autism dash breakthrough. All right. I'm Kendrys Colebrook. I'm the executive director of Autism Breakthrough, um, and I'll be your host today for the walk and talk. Um, I have a very special guest with me today, um, Kelly Howe. Kelly, are you there? I'm here. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Excited to talk about autism and adults. I love it. I love it. I love it. You know, we started this walk and talk because there's not a lot of information out there about adults on the autism spectrum. Everything is children and diagnosing and treatments and um, all of those kinds of things in the research um, and in what people in general just know about um, autism and in adulthood. And that's what we deal with every day at Breakthrough. Um, so we want to share that with people um, who may not know all about it um, and people who may be in it and want to learn more. Um, so we're, we're looking for messages to inspire um, parents, caregivers, and um, advocates as well. So very cool. Very cool. So tell me about you. Well, um, as you said, I'm Kelly Howe. I'm an occupational therapist, um, a spelling to communicate practitioner, and I own Adroit Therapy Services here in Knoxville. Um, and I started out my work as an OT in pediatrics. Um, and so, like you said, that's kind of the hub as far as what people know about autism. Um, and I quickly saw um, that my clients definitely had some sensory challenges, had some motor planning challenges, um, but they knew more than they were able to demonstrate to us. Um, wow. And so I really dove into learning more about what was holding them back from being able to communicate everything that they knew. And ultimately what I found was that it's a motor planning deficit. Um, a lot of people know it as apraxia, um, which is often a second diagnosis for individuals with autism, or you might not have even gotten there. Um, but two thirds of individuals on the autism spectrum also have apraxia. And so I started in PEDS and then about two years ago, I moved to Knoxville and I had moved from Tampa, Florida, and there was a lot missing here in Knoxville as far as, as services to address these motor planning challenges and this apraxia as a dual diagnosis to autism. 
Um, and so I started adroit therapy services and right now I serve, I still serve the kiddos. Um, but my caseload is my youngest on my caseload is seven and the oldest is 35. So there's quite a span. Um, and so here, instead of serving one age group, my goal has really been to serve, to serve these motor planning challenges and help kiddos and adults address those motor planning challenges that are holding them back from being able to communicate, from being able to maintain control of their bodies, and from being able to really live the the quality of life that they would like to have. That's awesome. You know, I have asked around a little bit. I was like, who do you do OT with? Have you started OT? Who are you doing with? And everybody's like, Kelly Howe, Kelly Howe. I'm trying to get in with Kelly Howe. Um, because you do, um, you've brought something to Knoxville and to East Tennessee that we haven't seen in this area. And similar to the founders of Breakthrough, um, who, you know, in 1999, they were parents of children aging out of the school system. And mm-hmm. they wanted to continue some of those services for their kids, but there was just nothing out there. Um, mm-hmm. And so they got together and formed uh, what is now Autism Breakthrough. Um, so, wow, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for bringing that um, to our area. So when we talked the other day, I was like, oh, so you're kind of like a unicorn. Um, <laughs> there are not a lot of OTs here doing some of the things that you do. Um, why is that? Do you think? Um, I think that especially as an OT and going through OT school, um, we, especially within the realm of autism, we learn about autism in pediatrics and what that looks like and how to treat that. Um, And as you said, once our clients sort of age out of the system, as OTs, we've often done everything that we know to do. Um, And so I, I see sort of this avenue for adults that still have some challenges that haven't been addressed through all their years of OT because motor planning is, we all do that all day long. If I wanted to get up and get a drink of water right now, I would have to have that idea. I'd have to sequence and organize the steps that my body has to go through to do that. I'd then execute that motion and I would, um, if it went a little awry on me, I'd have to adapt. And so we take that process for granted. Um, But a lot of the adults, especially individuals at Breakthrough and others like them are still really having to work through that process and think about every step that their bodies are going to go through. But because their bodies look capable, right, they can take a walk through the neighborhood, they can shoot baskets. um, We often don't think of motor planning as being a challenge for them. Um, It's when we start to see that we ask for a very specific thing and that purposeful movement is difficult. Then we're like, Oh, I wonder why that piece is hard. Um, I wonder why picking up a specific thing that I asked for is hard or moving all the way through an instruction is difficult. Uh, So when our guys are little, we work on motor skills and we work on some of that motor planning, but then it appears that that isn't an issue anymore. It's when we dive really much deeper into looking at 
the purposeful movement and the specifics of what they're needing to do that we see some of those challenges. And so our adults often often aren't seen to have as much of a challenge as our little guys when in all in all reality that's not true. Yeah, because you know, you have those guidelines and those developmental tables for younger people and they're like, okay, if they can do this, this, and this, then they're on track with everything that other kids their age can do. Um, but right. there's no standard for that for adults. And so we miss some of those things that could help our, you know, our decision-making and ability to follow directions and, and finish things and tackle some of those um, gross or fine motor challenges. Huh, cool. Very Absolutely. Neat. Uh, and I think, yeah. too, with adults, we get to a point where the system, of uh, whether it's therapists from the past, teachers, they've done so much work to help us get to this point. And, and parents of adults kind of get to this point, too, and they would love to keep working on things and keep getting services, but because there's a lack of services – we sort of get a little bit comfortable with, you know, we've made this much progress. This is what it's going to look like, especially in adults. Um, this is what his life as an adult is going to look like. And I think breakthrough has made huge strides in what's possible for an adult's life to look like an adult with autism's life to look like. Um, but if I could thank you for that, message, <laughs> it's that it's that there they are so much capable of continuing to progress and continuing to improve and continuing to um, access and be able to demonstrate everything that they've got inside. And that challenge has to be presented um, in some, you know, systematic form, right? I was talking yesterday um, with Lauren Barnes. She does some of our um, health coordination and individual rights um, coordination for some of the people that we support um, and she was kind of telling us about how over time, as adults on the spectrum age, um, there's a loss in motor function and there's a loss in cognitive ability um, just due to their neurodiversity and some of the uh, challenges and um, predispositions that come along with that. Um, is OT and some of the um, functional fitness and all of those things, would, do they help address some of those issues as people Absolutely. age? Absolutely. Um, just like all of us, it's sort of a use it or lose it situation, especially with things regarding motor skills and fu functional fitness. Um, we all, if we didn't practice doing certain skills would lose those abilities or would have to really work to continue to gain them. And our adults with autism are already sort of at a disadvantage in that area because they have to work so hard to be able to move their bodies purposefully and move through what they really want to be able to do. And so if they are, aren't using those skills and aren't using the parts of their brain that are creating new motor plans and working to not only establish those new motor plans, but practice them and help them maintain functional movement, then they likely aren't going to be able to do that long term. Um, and so that's a big piece of what I do in OT is helping establish those skills. Um, you mentioned fitness, and that's one thing that I, I love to do with my clients because 
in functional fitness, what we're doing is we're training for life, right? Um, yeah. A squat helps you reach down to the floor and pick up something heavy. Um, being able to rotate your torso means that you can unload dishwasher or unload dishes from the dishwasher and put them away in a high shelf functionally. Um, being able to being able to lift and carry something means you can help unload all the groceries out of the car and put them away. And so those skills, just like they would be for me and you, are helping are helping train autistic bodies to be able to move functionally and be able to move purposefully and contributing to that quality of life because they are going to be able to to live a more typical life even though their brains are neurotypical. I, I love neurodiverse. that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Neurodiversity. Um, I think you had a quote on your page. Uh, we believe strongly in neurodiversity. And um, what was it? We we view it as a, any other human variation. I love that. Yes. Um, yes. Because that's, that's, that's so true. We're all wired differently. Um, and I do believe that strongly about my clients. I think that their brains aren't um, defective or dysfunctional or anything else. They're just different. Um, and so when I'm looking at, at what they're dealing with, I want to look at, okay, how can we use your strengths and the things that you are really gifted in because you have a brain that is different than mine? How can mm-hmm. I use those things to help you work through the challenges? Um, and if your challenges are those motor planning and being able to uh, regulate your body, right? Being able to stay uh, purposeful rather than becoming impulsive, being able to regulate your emotions, being able to regulate your the speed at which your body moves so that you can maintain control. You're not moving really slowly. You're not moving through everything at lightning speed. Um, how can we address those challenges with the, with the gifts that a neurodiverse brain already has? Right. Wow. Wow. And that's, that's interesting that you mentioned, you know, body awareness and, um, like processing and, and motor planning. Um, what, where does, where does like visual and auditory and sensory um, processing come into that? And, and how do you approach um, some of those um, expressions of sensory integration? And I don't know if I'm even using the right terms. Uh, do you know where I'm going with this question? I, I know exactly, exactly what you're talking about. Okay. So, one of my favorite things to talk about is neurology. So I'm going to go a little bit into that just to kind of address this. So yeah, let's do a deep dive into neurology. Yeah. I love that. Perfect. When we're looking at the brain, the motor cortex and the sensory cortex are right next to each other in the brain. They're sort of fused together. And so I approach everything through a sensory motor lens um, because that's where we see the biggest deficits in our individuals with autism we can't be able to express anything that we know without using those areas of the brain. Um, There's not a way for us to demonstrate our knowledge without a movement, without speaking or pointing or circling or move this to this place. Um, And that is right up against that sensory cortex. And so a lot of our, our guys, individuals with autism, 
are diagnosed really early on with with some sensory challenges. Either they're um, sensory avoiders and sounds and visuals and that sort of thing is very overwhelming, or we're sensory seekers where we are always looking for more and more and more input. And a lot of our guys are sort of a hybrid. Certain things we want to avoid and certain things we're really seeking. Um, and where that all falls as we age is that our sensory systems harden just a little bit. So for us neurotypical individuals, I always think about riding roller coasters. When I was 12, I could ride the same roller coaster 18 times in a row and be totally fine. As an adult, if I ride it more than twice, I'm starting to feel a little bit sick. And part of that is my sensory systems have hardened over time. And so some of those things become a little bit easier, but neurologically, the autistic brain doesn't have the same filter for sensory information. And so often we're taking in as much as we can, and it is just sort of filling the brain a little bit. But realistically, the flip side of that coin is we're taking in everything all the time. The flip side is the autistic brain is able to process a lot more of that information than my neurotypical brain. So as a neurotypical person, if I'm in a restaurant, I likely am only able to process and work through the conversation that's happening at my table. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of my clients in that instance are bombarded with the sensory information from all the tables in the restaurant and everyone that they can hear, which is overwhelming for sure. But they're also able to process more of that. Some of my clients, if I pulled them out of that restaurant and asked questions about three different tables, could tell me what was happening in all of those situations. That's amazing. Um, (laughs) And it's, again, that neurodiversity, that difference in the way their brain is wired. The downside is it's very overwhelming. And I might not be able to stay in that restaurant for a long period of time because I just can't handle the level of sensory that my brain is taking in. On the other hand, I'm able to process all of that and learn from all of those conversations rather than just the one that I was engaging in at my table. Um, wow. And so I, yeah, it's just, it's just different. The sensory, the sensory piece is different. And as adults, a lot of adults have developed either coping skills to deal with that, or those are the places where we see a great amount of impulsivity and, um, what we might call outbursts or behaviors, but that's just frustration from the overwhelm of a sensory experience. Yeah, I think if I were faced with three different conversations and, you know, two or three people having them and I was processing that and synthesizing that and trying to make sense of it all at the same time while someone's talking to me, then it, it's understandable that, you know, the response that you see typically is, is the one that you get. Um, so that makes a lot of sense um, as far as the sensory input and the motor processing. Um but what what do you what about people who are um, nonverbal? Um, how how is therapy approach? What approach do you take for people who are nonverbal to um, encourage communication or um, expressive language? That is goes right back to what I was trying to address earlier about the motor skill, right? Yeah, um, yeah. There is not 
a way that as humans, we are able to express what we know without, without. using a motor skill. Um, and what I have found back to our neurology, um, when we look at the brain, the language center is separate from our, our motor cortex. And so when we're looking at the language center, what's happening in that part of the brain is 100% cognitive. I can ask you a question right now. You're hearing and uh, understanding and processing everything I'm saying. That mm -hmm. part of your brain is then sending a, a signal to actually your expressive language center where you are, before you're speaking, forming thoughts and ideas um, and opinions about what it is that I'm saying. So now you've got all of that in your expressive language center, but it's still not coming out, right? Now right, we've right. got to send a message from that expressive center to the motor cortex that is going to create some way for that thought, that idea to come out. And so what I see in non-speakers is that that motor challenge is really what is impaired. Once we are addressing all of those motor challenges and working through and giving the body a reliable motor skill, then we can actually access what these individuals know. Um, but what I find in most all of my clients, it's certainly the rule rather than the exception, is that once they have a reliable motor skill, the cognition isn't actually impaired. Um, it's the way and and so often that that's the the misrepresentation or, or the, the it's assumed that there is some cognitive deficit, but most of the time it's not. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Once we develop the motor skills they need, then we can really find out what's in there. Um, and there are so many individuals um I'll be happy to send you a list of resources that people could um, contact you to get where non-speakers have gained access to communication through spelling or typing or something along those lines because they've been given the appropriate motor skill. Speech and using the articulators in your mouth is one of the finest of fine motor skills. Those muscles are tiny and you have to be able to move them very accurately to create the sounds in the correct order that you want to be able to produce them. Um, uh, and so that's very, and that very movement could, also, could be a challenge if someone doesn't like how it feels to have your tongue touch the top of your mouth. Sure. Or, you know, whatever sure. the case may be that they have. Okay, wow. And so many of these guys have, have challenges with gross motor skill, and especially our non-speakers have some challenges in kind of that gross motor skill arena. And so getting from our foundational gross motor skills all the way to the finest of fine motor skills might be difficult. So getting those people to speak is not necessarily my goal, but I want to give them a way that we can access a reliable motor way that we can access their communication without them having to move the tiny muscles um, so accurately. You're you're making a new lexicon for each individual so that yeah. so that they can be understood. I love that. I love that process. Um, how how long does something like that take? Would you say it? It totally depends on the individual um, and. With adults, I do find that it takes a little bit longer because we're working against 
some ingrained habits and motor plans that have been there for a lot of years at this point. Um, but for some clients, it takes a year to become completely fluent where they can answer any question that's asked of them. What do you think about um, the election? What are your opinions about living in Tennessee? Those kinds of things where they're completely open-ended questions, um, while others take a little bit longer than that. It all depends on what level of motor deficit are we working with and how many um, how many of those sort of impulsivities and motor loops and things are we working to overcome. Interesting. And what can supporters do um, for someone who is going through this process? The first thing that I would say is presume competence. Um, whether they have an effective means of communication or not, these individuals are listening and taking in everything. And so the least dangerous assumption is to presume that they are cognitively intact and have the cognitive ability that they're not able to demonstrate physically. Um, that's immediately going to lower frustration and um, some impulsivity and things like that because their brains are being stimulated. They're being spoken to as adults. They're being treated as, as individuals who are cognitively intact and have cognitive ability. Um, that step alone changes so much for individuals with autism. Um, but then continuing to think about just motor planning in general. So if you're out for a walk, trying to make that really purposeful. Maybe that's you stop at a bench and you do five squats every time you go by a bench. Um, but thinking about how can we just get some movement in? How can we make it purposeful? How can we enjoy this together, uh, but be working on our motor skills at the same time? I love that. I love that. Presuming competence is huge. Um, mm -hmm. It's huge for any kind of communication, trust, um, you know, exchange on an adult level um, for anybody, especially for adults with autism. Um, it, it really grounds my gears when people walk up to someone and they talk to them like they're a two-year-old. I'm like, no, they're, you know, they're 45. You should, you should talk to them with your regular voice. Um, you know, and, and engage Absolutely. in conversation like you normally would. So awesome. And taking that a step further, just like we were talking about with the sensory of processing conversations happening all around them, if if you are in the presence of an individual with autism, they hear you and they're processing what's happening and what you're saying. And so even if you're in another room or you're just down the street or you guys aren't standing at a distance where as a neurotypical person, I could hear and understand what you're talking about. They are. And so if you're speaking about them, you want to make sure that you are, <laughs> you are either including them in the conversation or you are in a place where they absolutely cannot hear you. And that's often not in their home. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but thinking about, okay, how it, are the things that I'm saying going to impact this person positively or negatively? And how can I change the way that I'm interacting, not only with them, but with um, their peers or my peers or 
anyone in the situation in a way that's going to support their regulation and their um, emotional health rather than detract from it. I love that. When, when, you know, when I think of occupational therapy, uh, and forgive me for this, I think, oh, we're just going to go play some games uh, <laughs> and we could do this on the playground. But um, it's so much more than that. It's, it's the intent behind it. It's the, um, the study that you're doing. It's the, um, the application of not only the play and integration or exercise or what, what have you, um, but it's, it's making, keeping an account of those things and those, those small milestones, you know, maybe I could only do three squats or maybe, you know, after I did two, I lost my balance, but next week I came back and I was able to do five without falling mm-hmm. over. Um, and that's yeah. something that helps in the long run and it builds those, what do you call it? Uh, neural pathways, yeah, uh, and strengthens them over time to do some of those other things. And that goes with um, communication, that goes with motor function, that goes with, um, you know, coordination and and processing and all kinds of things. So thank you, Kelly, um, for for talking with us and and tackling this and giving us a neurological perspective on it. Um, And I really want to talk to you, maybe we can talk again tomorrow um, a little bit more about the spelling, what, what's the name of that program? The spelling, spelling to, to spelling to communication program, um, because that's novel. I have never heard of that before. I checked out your website. Um, how can people connect with you? Um, you can find me. All my contact information is at adroit, A-D-R-O-I-T, therapyservices.com. Awesome, awesome. AdroitTherapyServices.com. Kelly Howell, everybody. She is Thank East Tennessee's so Occupational Unicorn. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. This is great. Um, to all of our listeners out there, um, please remember that this is a 21-day challenge. We want you to get out, get outside if you can, walk, um, and listen to our, our talks about all things adults with autism. You can share it with a friend. And it is done in conjunction with our virtual 5K. We're doing the entire month of November. If you're interested in it, you can go to www.runsignup.com and type in Autism Breakthrough in the search engine. All right. Well, thank you once again, Kelly. Y'all have some fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime. Bye-bye.